you're tuning in to Tales from the Desolate Highway, your source for the history of post-apocalyptic literature. I'm your host, Nathan Ogloff. Let's get this show on the road. Alright guys, welcome to uh, episode 3, season 1, obviously, Uh, yeah, of this podcast. Um, what's been going on with me? Well, uh, made a lot of progress on some pivotal, pivotal critical scenes in part one of my fourth draft. That's been going quite nice. Uh, I also attended some self-pub con in England on the weekend. Well, it was all virtual, so I mean, I wasn't there, but you know what I mean. That was nice. Got some great advice. Um... And you might be wondering, okay, if it's self-pub con, am I going to be doing self-publishing? Uh, the answer to that is no. I want to go traditional because I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty direct. What you see is what you get. And um, I, I really don't trust myself to market it well enough to go self-publishing. Uh, that's why I'm going to go traditional publishing. Or traditional publishing is good for if you want to get TV or movie options uh, and rights. Uh, They also, I can help out a smaller press. Uh, They can help me out with the marketing. And uh, I know it takes a while to find an agent and get a publisher, but during that time, hey, I can build up this podcast. I can start writing the second book of the series, The Sapien Empire, that I'm writing. Uh, and that's that. So, anyway, let's get into today's book. So, the book of the week is The Last Man by Mary Shelley. That's right. It did get influenced by last week's The Last Man. So, um, this book is split into three volumes, and basically it tells the story of how a plague ravages humanity in the 21st century. Because, you know, that would never happen. Little Little hint there. Uh, Before it begins, Mary Shelley basically states that she found some prophetic writings in a cave near Naples and that she took the writings and turned them into this book. So, it starts in the year 2073 with a man named Lionel whose father was a friend of the King of England. But then his dad takes his own life and Lionel's dad leaves a letter to the king uh, on how to take care of his family, but the king doesn't get the letter. So because of this, Lionel and his, and his sister Perdita grow up without parents, and they're essentially uncivilized. Now, once the king leaves the throne, that monarchy of England just ends. That's right, the monarchy ends. The king's wife, uh, who's ever only called the countess, tries to get her son Adrian to retake the throne. Uh, He doesn't, and he moves to Cumberland, where he meets Lionel. Now, Lionel hates the royals, but Adrian tells him, ultimately, that they never received any letter. And after that, they smooth it out, they become good friends, and Adrian begins to civilize Lionel. Um, Now, Lionel pursues political endeavors in Vienna, but after two years of doing this, he decides to go back to England, because he hasn't heard from uh, Perdita and Adrian. Um, Now... There's been turmoil afoot when he comes back, so a man named Lord Raymond comes back to England from a war between Greece and Turkey, uh, because apparently Mary Shelley thought that 
300 years in the future, they would have been fighting another war and a long series of wars that had happened between her time and the time the novel takes place. Uh, he does seek political position, uh, this Lord Raymond character. Uh, and also, in the two years since Lionel was gone, a Greek princess named Evadne has come into the picture. Uh, both her and Perdita actually fall in love with Raymond. And Now, this three gets some 19th century Jerry Springer shit, because Evadne was Adrian's girl, and he is so broken up when he hears about this that he goes into exile and potentially goes mad. Uh, Raymond, on the other hand, though, uh, wants to marry Idris, Adrian's sister, so he has no interest in the other two. And Idris has come into the story uh, since the two years Lionel was away. This is all a uh, political move, and the Countess tries to make it happen, but ultimately uh, Raymond chooses love over ambition and marries Perdita, so the Countess basically wanted Raymond to marry Idris, her daughter, on political grounds, and that just didn't, didn't happen. It was almost like Mary Shelley had predicted King Edward in the 1930s. Oh, crap, did I just go there? Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, so Lionel gets Adrian better. He nurses him eventually back to full mental uh, stability, really helps him improve his mental health. And the Countess tries to drug her own daughter bring her to Austria and force her to make a politically motivated marriage. However, Idris eventually finds out about this, marries Lionel, and then the Countess is all pissed and just leaves for Austria, hating her children. Um, I could insert a reference to some insect species that eats its own children here, but I don't know if or what that would be called anyway. So, uh, moving on. You know, in the book, England goes from monarchy to republic in the 21st century. Hey, it could happen. The Winters could be the last monarchs of England. Just saying. So this republic uh, has a... It's, it's now ruled by what's called a Lord Protector. And ultimately, Raymond gets that position. Uh, he does a good job, actually, and finds out that Adrian is in financial ruin, which is uh, Perdita's fault because of all of her... Uh, political schemes. So Raymond helps them out by uh, giving Perdita money in exchange for her art skills. Um, not Perdita, sorry. It's, uh, ooh, the hell. Oh, he, uh, he, that's right. Raymond marries Idris. So Raymond gives Idris money in exchange for her art skills. But Perdita finds out about this and uh, thinks he's having an affair, probably because he is. Uh, and so they get into a heated disagreement, which causes the both of them to separate. Uh, Raymond resigns from being Lord Protector, and by now, at this point, a new character named Ryland is taking the job, and then Raymond ultimately flees to Greece. Again. So, Adrian joins him this time, actually. Uh, probably, probably because he's had enough of Evadne's shit. But... Uh, eventually, Adrian comes back and he's injured. Now everyone starts to think at this point because he's injured, Raymond's dead. He's just out of the picture. Um, by this point, Perdita has had a daughter uh, whose name is Clara, and even though Perdita and Raymond had their issues, so she still wants to know what happened to him. After all, she he is you know the the father of her daughter, so she convinces Lionel to bring her and her daughter to Greece. And that's when we enter Volume 
two. Now, this is where things start to pick up. This is when you start to see some actual post-apocalyptic stuff, or just the, the very beginnings of it. Uh, after Lionel arrives in Athens, he learns that Raymond has been captured by the Ottomans. Uh, he negotiates for his return to Greece, so when Raymond comes back, they invade Constantinople. Uh, after the battle, Raymond discovers Evadne dying of her wounds. She somehow went over there uh, without them knowing. Um, so now Raymond wants to go into the this, this city, but the army is wary of it because they heard that there is a the, the plague in there and they don't want any of that shit so uh, Raymond just enters alone and he finds the city deserted and thinks okay we've taken it but then he steps on a, an explosive trap laid out by the Turks and, and dies uh, later he's buried in Athens uh, and Perdita doesn't want to leave Greece because that's where he is but Lionel drugs her and takes her back to a steamship so that she can still see her children uh, this does little to prevent her from killing herself, because once she's awake, she ultimately just throws herself overboard. Uh, by, now, at this point in the novel, we're at the year 2092, and that's when the shit really hits the fan. This plague has started to spread across Europe and the Americas. There's storm surges, a solar eclipse starts to happen, shit like that. Ryland, the Lord Protector, is unprepared to deal with the plague. He just doesn't know what to do, so he ultimately flees northward and dies. Adrian takes command and becomes Lord Protector, and he manages to maintain order. Uh, but then refugees from Ireland and America come, and they cause trouble, and Adrian has to deal with it, but he manages to resolve everything peacefully. Now after this, the story introduces us to a character named Merivale. All I know is that he's an astronomer, oblivious to the plague, and thinks people are going to go on and on forever. But it's only when his family dies of the plague, he either dies of a broken heart himself or just commits suicide. I'm not really sure which. The book doesn't... St I didn't read the book, but all of the research I did, it doesn't really state what happens. Basically, he's there briefly because he's just meant to be... He's meant to represent the opposite of Victor Frankenstein. So whereas Victor is productive and shows results, Merivelle is too afraid to do anything and in the end ultimately does nothing. And this is when we get to Volume 3. So nearing the end of the story, the survivors decide to abandon England. Uh, but before they leave, they go to Dover, uh, where Lionel gets a letter from a woman named Lucy Martin. I'm not quite sure when she enters the story again. Like, the research, I think it was just someone that was mentioned earlier. Or it's just some character, Mary Shelley introduced. I'll talk about the, the, her writing style and how she wrote it uh, later after I'm done the plot summary. Um, but he gets a letter from this Lucy Martin who can't join because of her mom uh, who has an illness. So Lionel takes his wife and travels during a snowstorm to Lucy, but Idris dies from years of stress and weakness at this point. He uh, buries her in St. George's Chapel near Windsor Castle. And after Lucy's mother has died, Lionel takes her to Dover and they travel to France. Now, in France, this is where all the emigrants, that's emigrants, not immigrants, emigrants with an E, not immigrants with an I, they've divided into rival factions. One of them, and one of them is this fanatical religious sect led by someone, someone simply known as the Impostor. Uh, one of the followers that Lionel meets is a woman named Juliet. So Adrian eventually unites all the other sects against this one crazy one. Lionel 
has to sneak into Paris and tries to rescue Juliet, uh, who doesn't leave because the imposter has her baby. Later, she helps Lionel escape after he's been captured. Juliet eventually discovers that the imposter has been hiding the effects of the plague after her baby sickens. And for, then she eventually tells everyone of the uh, imposter's... He tell, she tells all the followers of the imposter's... Sorry, let me just try that again. Uh, for telling the imposter's followers the truth of the matter, she's ultimately killed. Everyone eventually travels to Switzerland, where the colder climate mitigates the effects of the plague. Uh, but by the time they get there, only four of the main characters I've talked about have died. Uh, they spend several years there before Evelyn. Uh, that's uh, one of the children of either um, of either Ray, Lionel, and not not Lionel and it just it's either a daughter of Lionel or a daughter of Adrian. I can't quite remember. I know it. it it's like you guys come to me and you're like what's the story about and now I'm hazy on these details uh, but she's the daughter of one of those couples that's all you really need to know at this point so she dies of typhus now the rest try to sail across the Adriatic but a sudden storm destroys the boat and drowns Clara and Adrian Lionel the last man swims to shore he eventually travels to Rome befriends a sh and befriends a sheepdog along the way a year passes without him seeing anyone in the end, Lionel lives with his dog and wanders the depopulated world in 2100. So, that's the end of the book. Now, basically, she wrote this book because it was therapeutic, and a lot of these people represent... A lot of these characters represent actual people she knew in her life. Uh, the book wasn't well received by critics, but as we all know, when does their opinion mean anything? She liked it and said it was one of her favorites, which goes to show that as long as you have faith in yourself, that's all that matters. Um, one of the other things that's significant was she re was really on the ball with plagues and how important vaccines were to stopping them. That's right, you hear that, anti-vaxxers? And this was 1826. When did the first vaccines start being used? Like the last half of the 19th century? I don't know. But that's how, that's one of the science fiction aspects here that she uh, thought up and ultimately later proved to bear fruit. Um, the 2073 isn't that much different from the 1826 in this novel. It, it, the things are just the same. There's like, ho they have horses and buggies. Uh, they don't have like automobiles and planes or anything like that. Well, which to me is kind of disappointing. But hey, uh, to each throne and what are you going to do? I do really get the sense of the last man at the end of all this, and I think that speaks to how true Mary Shelley was being to herself. Many of the characters in the book, again, are based off of the many friends in her life that died, um, often in quick succession, like right after, not too soon after. One would die not too soon after another one would die, which is really sad. So um, some people think that because of that aspect that she just had it was the characters are based off of friends in her life that this book is just therapy and that somehow that is the biggest shortcoming of the book i disagree that it being written as a therapeutic exercise is a shortcoming of the book i know people who write because they find it therapeutic almost necessary and i wouldn't say that diminishes the quality of their writing 
Um, the, the book finally got better intention actually in 1965 when it was reprinted. So basically, it was because people didn't think things could go to shit in 1826. By 1965, they knew they could. Gee, I wonder why. Anyway, that is the book for the week. Mary Shelley's The Last Man. Before I take off, I'd like to give a shout out to the Apocalypse Book Club, um, whose podcast was key in the research of this episode. I'll post a, a, I posted a link in the episode description. Uh, as for my novel, I'm going to wait until next week before I either uh, tell you more about it or read an excerpt, uh, because I feel that episode will be a little shorter than this one, and I'll have a lot more time. I mean, at this point, I'm running, oh, 16 minutes, 56 seconds. That's, uh, these episodes are getting longer, but not too long. Yay me, I'm proud. So, next week on Tales from the Desolate Highway, I talk about the Book of Machines. Did somebody hear the Terminator theme playing in the background? That's right, James Cameron, eat your heart out, because I found some 19th century Terminator shit. So, until then, I'm Nathan Obloff, and you've been listening to another episode of Tales from the Desolate Highway. Thanks for tuning in.